0: Well, it's great to be back with my church family again. I've been gone for two weeks speaking in another church, and so it's nice, um, nice to be here with you again. Uh, I thought what I would do is, um, for some of you who don't know me, um, before I actually share my story with you, um, which begins in my mid to late 20s, uh, I'll, I'll share a little bit more about the first 20 years of my life, just a little bit. Um, by the way, some of you will have heard bits and parts of my story uh, through men's prayer or, or men's uh, Bible studies and different things like that, but you're going to hear a fuller story today. Anyway, I grew up in a Christian family, and but even then, having grown up in a Christian family, I knew at a very young age, at age three actually, that I needed Jesus as my own Savior and Lord. And so at the age of three, I knelt with my mom beside the couch, and I asked Jesus to come into my life. And I can still see that vividly in my mind. It's one of my first memories. And um, I rededicated my, my life at age 12. And that was the same year that our family moved to Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. We, both my wife and I grew up in Saskatchewan. And uh, we started attending Alliance Church. And that's where I actually met Rona, who was two years younger than me. And we dated through high school and college And a week after she graduated from nurse's training, we got married at ages 21 and 19. And a year later, we had our first child. And um, that gets you caught up in a very, very, you know, 30 seconds to a a minute, gets you caught up in the first 20 years of my life. Um, But let me just pray, and then we'll get, get going in this story. Father in heaven just as we were singing those two songs that brought back memories in my own life of um, the journeys that you've taken me on and uh, how important you were through every one of those journeys. And so I just pray that you would just use my story in whatever way you want to use it and uh, that we would just be willing to meet with you uh, here as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. So in my lifetime as a Christian, and I, I turned 70 this past December. Man, that doesn't sound good, that's saying that. that. Anyway, in my lifetime, I've encountered what I would call three major dark nights of the soul. And by that, I mean three extremely painful, emotional, and spiritual struggles that God used for his purposes in my life in a wonderful way. Now, those three journeys, there was kind of a process I went through. I I call it from being broken to going into a period of brokenness and through that coming into a period of wholeness. And by brokenness, I mean where I was at those low points and I was at that critical moment. Am I going to run from God or am I going to run to him? And then the brokenness period is where I chose to surrender to whatever God had in mind for this journey, which then led into a period of wholeness and renewed wholeness. So anyway, the first one took place in my 20s, the second in my 40s, and the most recent in my mid to late 60s, which means I'm not looking forward to the 80s, if you've noticed the trend there. Now, to put it bluntly, they, they were hard times, at times empty, and at still other times where God appeared completely silent. In addition, there were also periods where I wrestled with feelings of either anger or frustration or hopelessness and even doubt. And thankfully, though, as I've shared already, instead of running from God, I called out to him just longing for his intimacy. Although, in honesty, uh, sometimes I found myself wrestling with him as he revealed certain things to me that I wasn't immediately ready to deal with. However, out of each of those three dark periods in my life came three wonderful gifts from God, a greater sense of emotional healing, a greater depth of spiritual growth, and surprisingly a new career or ministry direction. So let's begin with the first dark night event in my life, the one that took place in my mid to late 20s in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. In 1978, when I was but 24 years old, my my dad died of cancer. He was 47. And during his last few months, we were forced to move one of our family businesses, it was a Hobbycraft and toy store, to a new location. You see, the new landlord refused to renew our lease and kind of sprung it on us at the last moment, giving us just a few months to move out. The timing couldn't have been worse, not only because of dad's failing health, but we had also been trying to sell the business. And so, in order to keep trying to sell the business, we moved locations, which was the first of a few bad decisions. And two years later, in 1980, just a few months after our second son was born, we were forced to close not only that business, but the other one as well, which was a cards and gift shop. And as a result, my mom lost everything, including her house, And it was not only because of the bad decisions on our part, but also the 20% interest rates, the landlord decisions that were out of our control, and certain bank issues. And as a result, I became very angry toward those that I felt had mistreated us. You see, I've always had this really strong sense of justice, and so I feel things deeply when I feel like there's something wrong, either in my life or in the world. And when I see what I believe is injustice, it it just hits me hard and I want so badly to see it rectified. Anyway, in this particular case, though, it created what became an unhealthy anger toward the people whom I believed had wronged us. And I also became despondent because as the eldest son, I felt like I had let my mom and my wife Rona and our two boys down. And in addition, I also felt like I had lost my identity and I no longer knew who I was. But even though I was upset and hurt, you know, life needed to move on. And since, you know, Rona and I didn't know where God was going to lead us next, I took part-time jobs first in security and then as a truck driver for a parcel delivery company. And Rona was already working part-time as a nurse in addition, I was also the youth sponsor in our church, and I was coaching football for 12 to 15-year-olds. Now, as all of this was going on, from time to time, the despondency, the anger, the guilt, it would just kind of dig its clutches into me, and I'd go through a tough period. And on one particular evening, while going through a a dark period, I I prepared for bed. Rona was already asleep. But I turned on the little light next to me and I opened up the Bible and I started to read. But I I couldn't focus. I was just too caught up in my feelings, in my angst. And so finally I just put the Bible down in frustration. I turned out the light and I started crying out to God. And as I was praying, I fell into that kind of half-sleep. You know, where uh, you're sort of asleep but not really. And while I was in that state, suddenly a thought related to the passage I had read a few moments earlier, the one that I hadn't been paying attention to, just popped into my mind. Now, I don't remember what the passage was, but I clearly remember what happened next. It was like it happened yesterday. It was like someone started asking me all these questions, and here's how the conversation went. Gene, I know the businesses were closed, and you don't think you're doing well, but here's what I want to ask you. How's your relationship with God? Well, in many respects, it truly was never better. Even though I had all these strong feelings, I felt that my relationship with Him was good because my, my faith in Him was strong, and I had no doubts about Him. Next came the question, and how's your marriage going and life with your children? Again, I had to admit the answer was never better. Since Ron and I were both working part-time, we were having great times not only with each other, but also with our boys. How about things with youth at the church? Well, I said, I'm really enjoying it. Seven of the ten graduates are going on to Bible college, so I'm excited about that. How about your life as a football coach? Well, I'm having so much fun training these boys to become good young men, and we had just won the first of two provincial championships. And then God said, that's what I care about, Gene. That's how I define success. Your identity is not tied to the businesses that you lost. It's your relationships with me and with others. It's the character I'm developing in you. That's where your identity is found. And that was a releasing moment for me, a cleansing moment. And so that night I gave God, my wife, my children, our house, the landlord, everything. It was just all his. And at that moment, I was now more prepared for the rest of the journey God was going to take me on. You see, I was moving from being broken inside to now a period of brokenness before God. Allowing God to mold me, just surrendering to whatever this journey was going to look like. And part of that was exploring whether or not God was actually calling me into full-time ministry. You see, seven years earlier, in 1974, when I graduated from Canadian Bible College, I thought that might be something down the road, but I hadn't felt the call back then. So one of the things I began to explore was the possibility of going back to seminary. And I found out that I was a few credits short, so I took a few university classes by correspondence, you know, kind of like a test case to see if I could still cut it as a student. And it was a positive and confirming experience. And in addition, I also had some people kind of speak into my life out of nowhere. For instance, one person came to me and said, Gene, you should really consider teaching. You have gifts in those areas. You know, just as a side note, we need to do that more with one another, right? Then, on another occasion, while driving truck for this parcel company, I, I was parked in an alleyway just looking for my, you know, where my next stop was when, when a gentleman from our church, someone I didn't know well, except that his daughter was in the youth group that I was in charge of, he walked in front of my truck, saw me, waved. I waved back, and I just kind of watched him walk past. And then all of a sudden, he just stopped and he started to come back toward me and he walked around to the truck where i was sitting to the where the side was where the, where the driver's side of the truck now you need to understand something we had had very few conversations so this was out of nowhere this was unique but here's what he said to me gene you should be doing more with your life than this and then he walked away Now, he didn't know it, but by this time, I was well on my way towards seminaries, but this was just further confirmation that this was of God. I did, however, have one major hurdle to overcome. You see, I didn't think I was pastoral material. I thought God was calling me to teach in a college or a seminary because I did love teaching. Anyway, eventually in the summer of 1983, we sold our house, we resigned from our jobs and moved our young family to Regina for seminary. And then in the summer of 1984, while I was interning as a pastor in a church, God kind of confirmed and said, Gene, by the way, you're going to be a pastor, not a teacher in a college or a seminary. Thankfully, I was ready for that and I agreed with him. But however, I often say, you know, I think God brought me to seminary under false pretenses. (laughs) And then changed my mind later. But here's the thing. I came to realize that I'm still doing what I love to do, teach. I'm just teaching fellow congregants, not students. Now, there's a little side issue to this particular story where God still had to do some work in me. You see, early in 1985, a number of churches were posting pastoral positions on the job board. And by the way, for those of you who are younger, it was an actual bulletin board, right? Uh, not a digital bulletin board. Now, one job description caught my eye. It was the assistant pastor position in Ontario. So as I read through the job description, though, I jokingly said to someone who was standing next to me, I, that's a huge job description. I wonder what the senior pastor does. However, then something else caught my eye, and I kind of just stopped short. It was the name of the city. It was Bramalee, the newer part of Brampton. And suddenly I felt a huge knot in my stomach that I hadn't felt in quite some time. You see, Bramalee Limited was the name of the company who had been our mall landlords back in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. That same company who had forced us to move our two businesses Now, I thought I had been healed of my thoughts toward them. But all of a sudden, my feelings were just so raw again. And so I decided not to put my name down for an interview with that church. But the same day, the same day, this shows you how God works. A close friend of mine who worked at the college and seminary said, Gene, have you applied for the position in Bramalee yet? I said, no, I don't think I'm going to. And he said, oh, Gene, you need to do it. I know the senior pastor and the two of you would be kindred spirits. And so because I trusted my friend, I reluctantly put my name down, number 15 on the list. But as I did, I thought, well, being number 15 on the list, there isn't much hope of getting that position, so what can it hurt kind of thing, right? In any case, the pastor came to the seminary, interviewed all 15 of us. And Rona came with me for the interview. And upon heading home, I just looked at Rona and I said, you know, I don't care what that church is like. I don't care what the city is like. I would go there just to work with Dave. And I ended up spending six and a half years working at Bramley Alliance Church with David Hearn, who later became the president of our denomination. And through him, I learned how to love people and be a pastor. And my feelings toward the company Bramley Limited dissipated. And when their business was forced to close because of bad decisions they had made, I didn't take any joy in that. So that was my first dark night of the soul. The second one took place in my mid to late 40s. It was now the the late 1990s. By this time, I was a solo pastor in a small church of about 100 people. And after six or so years of ministry in this church, I, I all of a sudden found myself getting more and more tired to the point where nothing I did replenished me. And then in the spring of 2000, my eighth year at the church, I finally got up the courage to tell the board, you know, something's wrong with me. And so they asked, well, well, how can we help Gene? Well, I said, listen, look, over the next seven weeks, I have a lightened schedule. For one thing, Ron and I are going to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary in Ireland for two weeks. Then we're coming back for three weeks where I don't have to speak because there was a baptismal service going on. We had special speakers coming in. And then I said, and then we're off to our Alliance um, biannual assembly in Calgary for a week and then a final week of holidays with families. So I said, let's see how everything is going after that. And I came back from those seven weeks feeling better than I had in three years. But in my heart, I knew I was only at 75%. I knew it. But even knowing that, because of this newfound energy, I just kind of threw myself into the ministry harder than I ever had. And within six months, I was done. And I remember the day It was a Thursday, the middle of December, 2000. It was leading up to the third Sunday in Advent. I opened up a Bible commentary because Thursday was my sermon writing day. And so I opened up a Bible commentary to do a deeper dive into the scriptures that I was going to be focusing on that Sunday. But I soon found out that I couldn't understand a single thing I was reading, nothing, and eventually I had to close the book in frustration and go with the notes that I had put together a few months earlier when I was feeling better, and from that moment on, every sermon I preached felt like my last one, that's how tired I was. (laughs) Finally, in March of 2001, I called our district superintendent and I said, look, something's not not right with me, we need to meet. And so together with our wives, who were both nurses at the time, we met together. And after spending an hour to an hour and a half together, where Rona had to finish many of my sentences, he immediately took me out of ministry for six weeks and ordered me to go to the doctor. And after the six-week leave, I, there was still no diagnosis in sight. I came back on reduced hours, but soon realized that whatever it was that I had, it was going to be long-term. So I handed in my resignation at the end of June. I took my last four weeks of holidays and finished up in August with no one knowing what was wrong with me. Not me, not my church, not my district, and not my doctors. I was com- completely spent with a physical, with a mental and a spiritual or emotional exhaustion so deep. I even find it hard to explain it sometimes. I also had no passion for anything, not even the things I used to love to do. I couldn't concentrate or read with comprehension unless it was a story. It would take me three times to read a single verse from the Bible before I finally got it. And then I'd be so exhausted that I'd have to lay down for 30 to 60 minutes just after reading that one verse. Some days I'd wake up and I'd say, you know, laying in bed, I'd say, oh, I, I feel pretty good. I'd get out of bed, I'd walk toward the washroom, and then I'd be so overwhelmed with fatigue, I'd immediately turn around and go back to bed. And on top of that, I was, I was so low emotionally that I actually believed a lie that was kind of feeding my mind, that I didn't have a single gift to offer the church. Now, in addition, even though the vast majority of my congregation was very supportive, I had left the church feeling somewhat hurt over the way a few people had treated me. And here's the thing, after resigning, all I could remember was the bad stuff which was 5%. I couldn't remember the 95%. So as a result of all of this, I begged God to remove me from the ministry, to give me anything but. And when he said no, that ticked me off. Because by this time, we knew what was wrong with me. You see, after a year of numerous doctors looking into my condition, you know, tests for my heart, my lungs, depression, fibromyalgia, and all kinds of blood tests. After basically eliminating everything, eliminating everything else, they finally came to the conclusion that I had chronic fatigue and that it might be with me for the rest of my life. And to a certain extent, it has been. You know, not like it was back in 2001, 2002, but it does have its ebbs and flows. In addition, another doctor discovered that I have a slight sleeping disorder which added to the fatigue. Apparently my brain doesn't shut off at night. It's active pretty well the entire night and so I never get into a deep REM sleep without a mild sleeping agent. So I asked them, is there anything we can do about that? And they jokingly said, well, yeah, Gene, we can do a lobotomy. I declined. But of course, here's the thing, you know, none of that deterred God and his plans, not the fatigue, not the hurt I was feeling, not the sleeping disorder. And so began a journey with him, this journey from burnout and fatigue to one of true contentment. Once again, this broken to brokenness to wholeness journey. A journey from despairing of the weakness I now had to depending on God for my strength. And eventually, a new ministry that I was absolutely made for. Here's how that occurred. First, God had to break me where I needed breaking, and then he remade me. And one of the major things he did was heal my hurts and restore my emotional well-being, providing me with a deep love for even those who had been hurtful in the church I was pastoring. And let me tell you how that happened. I was on a prayer walk one day, and it was one of those days where I was dealing with the hurt, when I sensed God say, pray for my blessing upon them, Gee, To which I replied, uh-uh, I'd rather pray something else. But God didn't let up. I mean, he was relentless. And finally, just to get him off my back, I said in frustration, okay, I'll do it, but I'm not going to like it. And with gritted teeth, I prayed, God bless the people who have hurt me, right? But from that moment on, every time the hurt would come back, I would pray that same prayer over and over and over again, sometimes multiple times on the same prayer walk. Until one day, I found that my love for those people was so deep, I actually wanted to go and find them that day and go and give them a hug. There's no other explanation, but that's God, right? And so God is good, isn't he? And I'm so glad he's so patient as well. Now, while all of that was going on, God also did some other things to prepare me for this new ministry he had in store for me. First, I was able to identify what had led to this chronic debilitating fatigue. For one thing, I I wasn't living within my limitations, and for far too long, I had been working too many hours a week. Secondly, I discovered I didn't replenish when dealing with tough funerals and difficult counseling sessions. I just added it to my schedule. Third, I carried other people's burdens and didn't give them over to God, and so I'd take them home with me. Four, eventually I felt like I was spending 80% of my time on things I was neither passionate about nor good at, and that's just a recipe for burnout. And finally, fifth, I realized that I had become a people pleaser, trying to be the pastor that other people wanted me to be, and I wasn't a God pleaser. I wasn't being the pastor God had made me to be. And in the end, I didn't really please anyone, including myself. Now, once God had helped me identify where I'd gone wrong, He took me on this journey where I really got to know myself like I had never before just to take a good look at who I was. You know, my strengths, my passions, and my weaknesses. And when I'm talking about weaknesses in this particular instance, I'm not talking about the things that God wants to change in us. I'm talking about our skills and abilities, that things we're just not good at, and we're probably never really going to get good at them. And so I made a mental list of all three of those things, my strengths, my passions, my weaknesses. And the first, for the first time in my life, I embraced all three, including my weaknesses, and I came out of that exercise saying, this is who God has made me to be, and I'm good with that. I'm content. And these weaknesses that I have are a sign, that's not where I'm supposed to be spending my time. And for the first time in my life, long time, I felt really good in my skin. That was a wonderful spiritual exercise. I'd recommend that to anybody. Now the next thing I did is I, I took my weaknesses and metaphorically I just kind of threw them over my shoulder, and then I designed a ministry that fit my strengths and my passions. And I came up with transitional ministries and church health consulting. I got training in that, and then I began to help churches develop a greater sense of spiritual, relational vision, and structural health. And in April of 2022, I finished transitioning my fifteenth church in 17 years. But then I sensed that something new was coming, which leads me to my third dark night event, which actually began a few years earlier than 2022. You see, about five or six years ago, so this would be 2018, 2019, I entered a time in my life which was clearly the deepest and the darkest night of the soul I've ever encountered. At first, I thought my chronic fatigue was really raising its ugly head again to the levels that I had first experienced in, in, in the early 2000s, because so, so many of my symptoms were so similar. But over time, I came to realize that this was something much deeper. And to be brutally honest, there were some pretty dark times, especially spiritually so. And by the way, Rona has given me permission with what I'm about to say. So Rona was suffering through her fourth year of deep depression and high anxiety with no end in sight. And as her suffering dragged on, I found myself not only aching over her pain, but I began to lose hope. And as a result, something slowly began to die inside me, not only mentally and emotionally, but also spiritually. In fact, I went through deep periods where I experienced a tremendous sense of hopelessness and loneliness. There was just a terrible emptiness inside. I was even struggling with doubts about God, which I'd never experienced before. In, in, in short, God felt so distant, it was as though he didn't even exist, which horrified me. And I, of course, came to believe that was a spiritual attack. But it was the first time i had ever struggled with doubt like that. And to be honest, I found it scary. And then, when Rona was suddenly healed on March 30th, 2020, just as the pandemic was coming upon us, I didn't come out of that dark night of the soul, which kind of shocked me. Fortunately, though, even before Rona got better, I, I, I chose not to run from God or God's people. In spite of what I was feeling, I didn't settle for the hopelessness that had gripped me, although, you know what, I could easily have done that. But instead, I made certain wise decisions. I continued worshiping our Lord and Savior with the family of God, even though I often felt empty when I was there. I set up a sanctuary in our master bedroom to seek after God. I began to fill my soul with all kinds of uplifting and challenging Christian resources, and I said no to a lot of secular stuff that I'd been reading and watching. I became more selective and discerning about the news that I was taking in, stuff that I felt that was taking away from my relationship with God and the inner peace that I craved. I also attended a soul care conference online, and through that met my prayer partner who lives in New Jersey. And we've now been meeting by Zoom every three weeks for about three years. I also began my day with one kind of devotional and ended it with another so that my first thought and my last thought are of God. I read intriguing biographies of people who, with God's help, had attacked the darkness of our world with spiritual abandon. People like Bonhoeffer during World War II or Wilberforce in the late 1700s and the 1800s regarding slavery and and then Martin Luther from the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. I've read stories and watched testimonials of people from all different kinds of walks of life and different religious backgrounds who found Christ walking from darkness into light. And most important of all, I've delved more deeply than ever before into the Bible as a whole, which I will get back to in just a few moments in more detail. Anyway, the end result was that slowly sometimes painstakingly so, at times with one step forward and two steps back, God began to bring healing to my soul, some wholeness, and he continues to do so. Because I know this journey's not over. However, what's also fascinating is that even when I was physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually weak, and feeling empty, God still chose to use me for his purposes, and here's an example. It was the summer of 2020, at the end of the first wave of the pandemic, and I was asked to consider transitioning a church during the pandemic. Now, I very much wanted to say no, but instead I asked our district leadership, so when do you need an answer? They told me by the end of July. And so I began to meet with God in the sanctuary that I'd set up in our master bedroom. And on July 27th, I sensed God say to me, "You can say yes, Gene, but this time around, you're going to have to ask for my strength daily." You see, on three or four other occasions when previous transitional opportunities had presented themselves, and my chronic fatigue was rather intense at the time, I would have this feeling of wanting to say no, and I sensed God saying, "Don't say no, Gene. Say yes, and just trust me." And I did. And every time I said yes, within a few weeks of saying yes, God would strengthen me until my time with that church was done. And then the fatigue would come back. But that's not what I sensed this time. This time I was literally being asked to depend on God daily throughout this experience. And boy, did I need that daily as I worked with this church. Not because the church was difficult, but just because I needed God so desperately. And each day I would somehow have the strength to fulfill what God had called me to do, even though there were many a day that I didn't want to get out of bed. But it was eye-opening to see firsthand that God is willing to use you even in your darkest moments, even when things don't feel right inside. And so for 17 months, I worked with this church until April of 2022. Now, after completing my time with them, I continued to pursue God. And as a part of that journey, in the spring of 2022, I came upon a resource that was immensely helpful. It was a very interactive six-week prayer workbook by David Chotka called, Hey, Are You There? It's Me, God. I actually went through that workbook twice at two different times, and as some of you know, I actually uh, taught the course here in this church for a few people uh, as well. And God used that book, that book, prayer workbook to remind me of the many times in the past when he had intervened in my life in wonderful ways because you see I had forgotten all of those things I couldn't remember any of them and so I was able through that workbook and and I was able to journal all these times that God was bringing back into my minds when he had been there and what an encouragement that was to me because it began to dispel certain feelings of doubt that I'd had In addition, one of the statements in the workbook just profoundly spoke to me. Here's how it reads. The Spirit of God points to the Word of God. The teaching of the Word and the experiences of the Spirit are never to be separated. And because of that, every time I delve into God's Word, I now say this prayer. Father, may your Spirit... Move over your written word as I read. May your spirit and your word intersect and interact with me deeply. Amen. It's been a life-changing prayer for me. Because I approach God's word so differently now. Now, another wonderful thing that happened to me on this journey with God was this. It was July of 2022. Ron and I were on holidays in Saskatchewan visiting families during One of my quiet times with God one morning, I sensed God speak four things into my life regarding his future plans for me. So I wrote them down because I wanted to see what would happen in my heart if I wrote them down and actually looked at them on paper. And immediately after writing them down, I suddenly felt some peace. So the first thing I wrote was You don't have to have any more long transitions, Gene, only short-term consulting and speaking, which I'm doing. Gene, you're to volunteer more with your church family, the well, which I'm doing. Gene, you're to spend more time with your neighbors, which I'm doing. And finally, fourth, I felt permission to write more in two specific but vastly different genres. One, to write children's books with a faith-based message based on my Christmas miniature villages. And I'm enjoying that immensely. And Two are basically done, but I'm sitting on them yet because I want to work on a third one and kind of have a trilogy kind of thing going. The second genre I'm still exploring with God because that's so different. And I want to make sure I get this right that this is indeed from Him. You see, for a few years now, I've been sensing strongly and increasingly so that I need to not only challenge the church to stay strong in an ever-growing anti-Christian society where we're being asked to conform rather than transform but also be a Christian voice speaking into the chaos and the craziness and the brokenness that we see in our country and around the world today. And I'm sensing that at times it may need to be with more of a prophetic voice than a pastoral voice. So a type of top fluff. I also know that the last thing the church or the world needs is one more angry voice in a sea of angry voices. But I think it may need a few more voices willing to speak truth into people's lives and if necessary, with tough love. Now I'll be honest, initially when I sensed this, I didn't know if this was God or just a reaction to my intense feelings because admittedly I was dealing with a lot of anger at what I was witnessing in Canada and around the world and it often didn't feel like righteous anger. But after coming to grips with what righteous anger looks like and unrighteous anger looks like, I finally said yes. And I said, if this is really you, God, then you need to prepare me for this, providing me both with your love for others, even those that I might consider the enemy or they might consider me their enemy, your love for justice, and I need to know what your righteous anger really looks like, which brings me back to my deeper dive into the Bible. See, sometime in 2022, while at Indigo Books, I came upon a study Bible that I sensed I should buy. It was the New Living Translation Illustrative Study Bible, 2,300 to 2,400 pages long. I also sensed I needed to go through it word for word, both the scriptural itself and the study notes. I'm now 17 months into what I believe will become an 18 to 19th month deep dive. But here's what's really interesting about this deep dive. Five months ago, I sensed from God that one of the major reasons for this 19-month dive into the Bible was so he could prepare my heart specifically for that second type of writing genre, so that whatever I wrote, whatever I spoke, would come from the heart of God. I don't know what that's going to look like, but we'll see where God takes it. Now, finally, as I conclude, I need to let you know that there was one other thing that I sensed strongly from God back in October of last year. It was a real gift from God, a real encouragement as I enter the last years of my life. I suddenly sense that now, as I enter my eighth decade, I, I sense that whatever time I have left, it could very well be my best years in life and ministry my most productive. What a reassuring message from God that was as I turned 70. Again, I don't know what that is going to look like or how long that will be. I'm just going to be faithful with what I believe is my new calling, and I'm just going to let God do with it what He wants. Finally, one last thing. About 20 years or so ago, I came upon a statement by A.W. Tozer, which I've tried to make a motto of my life. I'm still a long way from really saying I've I've done it, but here's what it says. Live so as to make God an absolute necessity. Did you catch that? Live in such a way that you're going to Make God an absolute necessity in your life. That's what I want people to say about me. That I have lived my life in such a way that that's what God meant to me. Thanks.